Hey everyone, welcome to the 5 Beer Plan. I'm Brian, and this is the ongoing saga of an everyman's ale trail. In this episode, it's time to get a little sugar fix, finish my interview with Justin Hemminger from the Ohio Craft Brewers Association, and review Endless Ending from Anchorage Brewing. In this segment of Tales from the Trail, I'm going to switch things up a bit here on the fly. I was going to talk about yeast, but decided to put it off for a few more weeks. This episode, I want to put in a short plea on behalf of my friends in the industry who are struggling. At year's end, I'm going to give my state of the craft address. But for now, I just want to ask you, the craft beer consumer, to consider your role in the success or failure of the local brewery. As you will hear in this episode's interview, the sales model that most craft breweries use today are on a pint-by-pint basis, selling directly from the taproom. You may not think you can make a difference, but you really can. I guess the thing I want to remind you, my craft-loving listener, is this. If you have a local craft brewery in your town or a favorite that is near to where you reside, make a point to get in there at least once a week to support them. I know it may seem more appealing or convenient to buy their beer or some other nationally distributed beer from the Quickie Mart or grocery store. But in the grand scheme of things, this is really not providing the most dollar-for-dollar impact to their bottom line. I know things are likely tight for you as well. You don't have to go crazy. Just buy a couple pints, a growler, or a four-pack out of their cooler directly at the brewery. Show the staff some love and leave a nice tip. Share positive reviews on social media. Bring your friends along. Do everything you can with what little you might have to help keep that dream alive. In this segment of Homebrew Hijinks, it's time to kick off the next project and mash in. This recipe was a bit of a departure from my previous projects. In addition to using a majority of Maris Otter Pale Ale, new ingredients to me were flaked barley and black roasted malt that were included. As before, a few ounces of rice hulls were included to be sure that the grain did not clump together during the mash-in. I placed all the grain in the brew bag and mixed it up really well to distribute the rice hulls a bit more. I used my online calculators to determine my strike volume and temperature in order to achieve the proper mash-in temperature. Once all of my water was up to 161 degrees Fahrenheit, I plunged my bag into the water and started my 60-minute timer. I used my oven method once again to maintain the 148-degree mash-in temperature. I monitored the temperature every 15 minutes just to make sure I was hitting my numbers in order to keep dialing in my process. The online calculators gave me my sparge temperature of 185 degrees Fahrenheit and volume for a 1-gallon batch, so about halfway through the mash-in, I began to heat up the water to make sure it was ready. I used my built-in colander placing the bag in it and slowly poured the sparge water over it. I let it drain for about 10 minutes before removing the bag and giving it a slight squeeze as well. Next time comes the boil. Now it's time for Barstool Banter. I continue my discussion with Justin Hemminger from the Ohio Craft Brewers Association. Listen in for more about the kinds of things they're doing on the state and national level as well as chat about his beer leanings.
I don't want this conversation to make it seem like wholesalers are not doing a, a service that is helpful to breweries. Certainly. Because they definitely are. The issue is the service that they're providing is not adequate in many cases for the brewery's needs for growth. And even if the brewery is able to better serve those distribution needs through self-distribution, if they're already in that contract, they've given up their self-distribution rights. As a brewery, you still have to hire salespeople to go out and sell your product to individual retailers, like go into the grocery stores, go into the bars and restaurants and sell your product to them. And at the end of that conversation, the salesperson basically says, here's the contact for the distributor, call them and place your order. When the retailer calls to place the order, the distributor may or may not actually fill that order. It's obviously very, very frustrating. And like the retailers will call those sales reps back and say, distributor won't fill my order for this. And the brewery could possibly have the capability to just like row a six stole into the back of the car and do a hot shot drop at the bar. But that's illegal under the contract. <laughs> you've signed off all of your distribution rights in the territory to that wholesaler, including the things that they refuse to sell. Yeah. Which is amazing to me that there's no way out of that so after that long-winded explanation of the problem <laughs> the solution that we are pushing for right now in the ohio legislature is to get a carve out for small breweries from that 50 year old antiquated franchise law that would cover any brewery making 250,000 barrels of beer or fewer in a year the larger breweries, you know, your, your Miller Coors, your Anheuser-Busch, your Constellation brands, all of those producers, they would still be subject to franchise law. The wholesalers don't have to worry about those huge brands leaving their portfolios. The brands that make up 90 to 95% of their business are still covered by franchise law. Only the smaller businesses would get that exemption from these forever contracts. And it's not like the Wild West happens if this passes. There are still contracts between yes. the two. Those contracts would be governed by Ohio contract law instead of Ohio franchise law if this were to pass. And Ohio contract law is well-defined. It's been challenged in the courts thousands and thousands and thousands of times. It's a process that works and works for businesses of all kinds across the entire state. All we're asking is to be able to make a contract between a brewery and a distributor that is enforceable and holds both parties to account, and honestly, gives both parties the chance to succeed from it. Yeah, I think that's the important part is if we're going to promote on a state level, we want to promote small businesses and try to expand those and try to keep our smaller towns functioning because some of these places are the only one or two businesses that are in a small town. We need to be making sure that they have the same opportunities that the larger places have. Yeah, exactly. And of the 430 breweries in the state, there are probably about 100 of those that are in distribution contracts right now. The bulk of the industry is still, their business models are selling pints over the bar in their tap room. And that's great. That's a good business model. It's great for communities, like you said. It's not the highest growth thing, but like, you know, there was a time when if you wanted to grow a brewery in the state, like you had to get into a distribution contract. You had to do that. It was the prescribed way to do it. But now that we've kind of seen that the taproom model works, opening additional locations can be as much of a growth engine for you as distribution once was. That said, if you're a brewery like Third Eye and you start out pretty small and you're mostly selling over the bar in your taproom, 
but you're doing really well. Place is packed all the time. You want to grow your business. You want to grow your influence in the market. You want to grow along with the accolades and keep up with demand. At some point, you have to expand production. And when you start to expand production, you have to find customers to buy that beer. Right. So you end up having to either invest fully in self-distribution and become a logistics company yourself, or you have to hire a wholesale distributor and get into one of these lifetime contracts. We don't think it should be that way. We think that if you want to hire someone to distribute your beer, they should be able to hold up to the terms of their contract. And if they don't, you should be able to get out of that contract through whatever mechanism is set up in it. In many cases, that's paying some fair market value to your distributor to get your rights back so that you can either self-distribute or take your business elsewhere. Like I said before, like if the plumber causes the leak, you should be able to find another plumber. Right. At the very least, you should be able to put some duct tape over the damn pipe, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that being said, what can my listeners do to support this initiative? There is a bill in the Ohio Senate right now. It's uh, Senate Bill 138. That is the Ohio Craft Brewer Freedom Act that was introduced by Senator Andrew Brenner back in July. We just started getting committee hearings on that bill on Ohio Pint Day of all days. There will be more committee hearings on that in the uh, Senate Ag Committee coming up. What we really need as many craft beer fans as possible to do is to contact their lawmakers and urge them to support that bill. Okay. There will probably also be another version in the House at some point. We're pushing for that as well. But the bill that exists right now is, is SB 138. We have a link on our website. It's ohiocraftbeer.org slash freedom. That'll take you to a contact form where all you have to do is put in your, your name and your address, and it'll figure out for you who your uh, state rep and state senator are, and it'll auto-populate a message to them to tell them that you support this and they should too. Thank you. Just so you know, I did that as soon as I came back from the beer fest. What other issues is Ohio Craft Beer scene facing could be challenging for us moving forward? You know, like I said, the industry is relatively healthy. Ohio is actually a pretty great place to start a brewery and to operate a brewery. There are a few issues on the national level that we think could be addressed by the federal government. One is the USPS Shipping Equity Act is a, a piece of legislation that Congress is, uh, is kicking around right now. Basically, if you're a brewery and you want to sell direct to consumer and ship beer to the consumer, right now you can only use a private carrier like UPS or FedEx. The United States Postal Service is prohibited by law from shipping alcohol. That's a law that dates back literally to prohibition because the government did not want anybody shipping alcohol during prohibition, right? And it's just still on the books. So in a state like Ohio, where direct-to-consumer shipping is already legal, a brewery can send you beer, but it has to be through UPS or FedEx. We think that by introducing USPS rights to also ship alcohol, that'll introduce a little bit of competition to that market. It'll keep those private carriers from charging exorbitant freight costs for it. And also UPS and FedEx don't deliver everywhere. You know, if you live in a place that doesn't get served by UPS, you're kind of out of luck. But the USPS is designed to deliver everywhere. So having that option there just makes the marketplace more fair, more universal. That's one thing that we'd, that we'd like to see also changed. Obviously, our primary goal right now is focused on franchise law, but we did go to Washington, D.C. a few months ago with other state guild leaders to lobby for that as well. Fantastic. I know that I've also had experience where uh, 
uh, either can't get beer shipped to my state or carriers will only ship to certain places. We've mentioned uh, the Ohio Pint Day, and I've got my glass sitting here. Yep, you've got one as well. <laughs> so very cool. I love the design this year. I think it's fantastic. I also like the style of glass. It's a can glass, the actual name of the style. It's a great canvas for art. Tall, straight sides, easy to print. It's got the the largest printable surface area of just about any glassware, which is part of the reason why we chose it. Right. So this is, I think, the fourth annual Ohio Pint Day that you've held. Can you tell me what the proceeds go toward? One dollar from the sale of every glass goes to the Ohio Craft Brewers Association to, uh, to support our mission. As uh, laid out by me several hours ago on this podcast, basically the proceeds go toward our, our mission to advocate for breweries to promote and market breweries, give them technical resources, and further the cooperative culture of our industry. I get your Ohio Brewery News Bulletin now I have since oh, I yeah. signed up on the website. Love that. Love that. Uh, it's just so cool to see, you know, you have breweries that are opening, breweries that are closing, news and stuff. It's a fantastic bulletin. Now, the uh, Untap magazine, is that something that only is distributed through craft breweries or is that something you can subscribe to? We only do it once a year. Uh, okay. It comes out in July. It's primarily distributed through our member breweries, but we also put them out in travel centers, roadside rest stops, and some selected beer retailers will also carry it, but mostly through the breweries. We do a little over 100,000 copies every year, and a lot of places just blow through them in the first month, and then it's just like, that's it. That's you it? Know? Yeah. That's a great uh, magazine, too. I really like you. the resources there. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, as an organization, you're, you're wanting to, to promote, you want to educate and just show people that craft beer is cool. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's a fun thing that brings people together and it's doing so much good for our communities. Anything we can do to keep that moving forward. That's what we're here for. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask some of these other questions, finishing things out. We're talking about beer here. Do you have a favorite style of beer? I tend to go for things that are a little more on the malty side or on the crisp side. I like pretty much everything. I don't have any strong aversions to anything, but like usually if I have a choice, I'm probably going to end up with like some kind of malty lager. I've really been into smoke beers lately, the historical Rauch beers. And then uh, depending on what part of Europe, Grazer or I'm also kind of a barbecue nut. You can add smoke to just about anything, and I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to be all about it. I'm with you there. Do you have a least favorite style of beer? Like I said, I, I enjoy a lot of different beers. Sours are usually never my first choice, but when they're done really well, man, they're fantastic. We were just in Denver for the Great American Beer Festival. We have a booth at the festival where we pour beers from our member breweries, and we were lucky enough to have the Restless Seas Goza from Narrowpath that had literally just won a silver medal at the competition that morning. And we were pouring that at our booth. And that's just a fantastic, just a fantastic sour beer. Good to know. GABF is one of those things that's on my bucket list, much like going to uh, Oktoberfest in Munich would be. It sounds like a great time anyway. Yeah, I've been, well, this was the first one I've been to since 2018, I think. But yeah, the first time it's overwhelming. The second time you have a plan and you realize that it gets busted up about 20 minutes in. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the third time you're just like, mm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to have a good time. Excellent. Well, so I have one last fun question for you. If you were a beer, what style would you be and why? Ooh, I thought about this for a while. And I think what I ended on or what I landed on is Weizenbach. Okay. It's a little quirky. 
it's not in everybody's wheelhouse but once you start drinking it it's just the best damn thing you ever had (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's such a rich and rewarding experience to drink a weizenbach but you gotta want it you gotta find it you gotta give it a shot and i mean really isn't that what any human connection is it's like you gotta put in the work exactly Well, I really appreciate you spending time today talking about this issue on the state level, talking about beer a little bit and your experience there. So um, I'm hoping maybe at some point we can connect down the road and share a pint together. Yeah, sounds great. If you're going to be around in January, maybe we can uh, get together around the conference in Toledo, January 16th, 18th. That sounds great. Justin, thank you again and best of luck to you as you uh, move forward. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you letting me come on and ramble about this thing for a really long time. It seems like. Absolutely. It's, a, it's <laughs> an important issue. Last call. It's nearly time to wrap things up. But first, one more for the road. This episode, I'm drinking something very special. Endless Ending from Anchorage Brewing. From the brewer. Barley wine. An Imperial Stout Blend, aged 18 months in Woodford Reserve, double-oaked barrels. Without further delay... Well, this beer clocks in at an astounding 15.5% ABV. And aside from Adroit Theory Brewing, Anchorage Brewing was my very first craft beer crush. From the first taste I took of Pattern's Triple IPA... I was hooked. And Anchorage Brewing is one of those breweries that I've been trying to get on the podcast ever since I started. So, Gabe, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on the show. I'd love to hear more about what you're doing and talk a little bit more about beer. I purchased this beer in one of my last crates from Tavor back in 2021 before they stopped shipping to my state. I've had this beer cellared in my basement since the moment it arrived at my home, stowed away in a box, more or less at a consistent temperature. So why did I pull this out of the cellar, you might ask? Well, this beer marks my 5,000th unique check-in on Untapped over the eight years that I've been using the app. So as I pour this out into a chalice that came from Bernardus Watau, this beer pours a very deep, dark brown color. Just like other Anchorage entries in their beers, this bottle has a nice, actually screen printed label on it for a change. It's pretty cool. It's a couple of bighorn sheep and there's a little bit of a human skull aspect in there too. I suspect if I could find the the signature, this is probably another one of those wolf skull jack art depictions. Very cool. Love the stuff that wolf skull does. Of course, this was a bottle that was sealed with wax. Uh, The wax just looks super cool cascading down the bottle. All right, so as I take a little sniff here, it definitely has that very strong, very boozy alcohol aroma to it. I can tell this is going to be a big one. Now, I didn't refrigerate this. I took it right out of my cellar. I suspect that it's probably somewhere between 50 and 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Perfect temperature for such a big beer. Almost has a little bit of a coconut aroma on the nose. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and take a first sip here. Wow, that is just super smooth and silky. 
And oh my goodness, does it have a nice warming burn that is going all the way down from the back of my throat into my stomach. It just enveloped my mouth in this silky, soft, decadent, dark, bitter chocolate almost. It is super smooth. Wow. I don't know that I've ever had a barley wine and an imperial stout blend before, but this is pretty doggone good. When I look at untapped, I can see that there are over 8,300 unique check-ins of this beer. So it's clearly something that is produced periodically. But oh my goodness, this is definitely a sipper. Now as I've taken a couple of sips already, my mouth has already acclimated to the, the alcohol burn. It is not nearly as strong as it was. Although, I think probably that's simply because my body's kind of adjusted to it already. It's got a little bit of almost a, a tobacco-y kind of char to it, but not in a bad way. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I don't know how Gabe does it. So I've had a number of big beers like this before. They all have their own little slant on, um, on the flavor. Uh, on the the boozy characteristics of it and I really rather like this one so one of my only regrets on this is perhaps I should have made a steak or maybe smoked something tonight because I think that would go really well with the very strong chocolatey bitter kind of flavor combination that's going on here with this beer I don't think this beer is necessarily for everyone but at the same time, I think that everyone should try a big beer like this once in their life. Frankly, it is unlike anything you've ever had before. So one of the things I always talk about is that if you are going to have your beer refrigerated, you always want to make sure, especially with the beers that have a, a higher ABV, you know, the darker they are, the higher the ABV, let them warm up, let them develop. And though I really didn't do that necessarily, I don't think there would be a whole lot of change coming from my 37 degree beer fridge up to 55 to 60 degrees temperature wise. I think if anything, it would have maybe dampened the aromatic qualities that are on this, but I really don't see it changing the flavor profile a whole lot. Yeah, this is a good beer. So you might notice on the podcast that I tend to be a little bit stingy, perhaps, with my ratings. And part of that is because I try to choose beers that are not necessarily top of the line every single time. Yes, I pull out some beers that are amazing. They all have their own unique qualities that go along with them. But if I pulled out a five-star beer every time, I think you get a little bored with that. This one, I think, really warrants having a really high rating. And I'm going to give out what I believe is a very fair, very appropriate rating for this particular beer. Yes, it's a milestone beer, but I also feel like it has all the great qualities that a beer of this style should have. It's a nice blend of two great styles themselves. I feel like the 15.5% ABV is fitting, that it's not elevated. I feel like from the aroma, beer does everything it's told me it's going to do. 
from a flavor standpoint, I know what to expect. So I'm going to give this one five tasters out of five on the flight board. Cheers, Anchorage Brewing. If you've got a beer you'd like me to drink and describe, leave a comment below. If you're a brewer and have one in mind, direct message me on Instagram and let's see what we can do. Well, that's all for this episode of the Five Beer Plan. With so many podcasts out there, thanks for choosing to listen to mine. If you're wondering why the audio quality sounded a little bit different this time, I was recording remotely during some much-needed vacation time. Join me next time as I go back to the Pacific Northwest and looking for Lupulin, get the bubbles rolling on my homebrew project, and of course, review more beer. Remember to hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. I'd love to hear from you, so please follow me on Instagram, buybeerplan2022, and leave a comment to let me know what one of your favorite breweries is. Be sure to support your local breweries, choose your beers wisely, and drink them responsibly. Until next time, keep walking your ale trail, and stay thirsty, my friends. <laughs>